When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, just about any subject you can imagine. They also called me Padre. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I take the questions of the day and answer them as best I can. The question this week is very simple. What's the best thing to memorize? What's the best psalm to memorize? If you're going to memorize something, and we don't really anymore. I feel like um, there's been a, a shift over the last maybe 30 to 40 to 50 years. And a lot of this happens uh, the way we're taught in school. The shift being, um, I think if you plotted a chart, a graph of the rise of tattoos, I think you could also chart a graph with the decline of memorized poetry. I don't, I've never done a scientific study on this, but I've just observed that people memorize less and less and they get more tattoos. I don't know if those two things are related, but I think that Memorized poetry used to be the way people carried meaning with them in their bodies, in their minds, in their hearts. And I think people carry meaning through tattoos today um, in very profound ways. And they're very poetic. Tattoos are art. They are a poetic expression of something deep inside a person uh, that they wanted to express on their skin, just in the way that Memorized poetry used to be the thing that you carried with you and you could have it with you and um, even when you didn't have any clothes on or even when you didn't have any possessions or books handy or and tattoos are that way too. They, they go with us everywhere. <clears throat> I found myself memorizing less and less poetry over the years. I grew up in a school tradition that memorized a lot of poetry and a lot of the Bible and we, we memorized Um, In my fundamentalist school growing up, the entire Psalter, the book of Psalms 1 through 150, including Psalm 119, we did a a chunk a month, a psalm a month, the shorter ones, I think we might have doubled them up, but um, if you recite a psalm like twice a day out loud with a bunch of other kids, by the end of the month, you know, you can recite it pretty much by yourself. So it wasn't like we worked real hard on memorizing, we just did it so much, so I don't want to encourage you to go out and get a tattoo today. It's pretty much impossible during the pandemic, but perhaps we could, uh, I could encourage you to memorize a Psalm and the Psalm that I encourage you to memorize of all the Psalms in the world is, um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a psalm that I've always carried with me. And I found that when I worked as a chaplain in hospitals, army hospitals and in um, civilian hospitals, 
one thing they always call the chaplain for is when someone dies or is about to die. And um, it's hard for, I think when people ask, do you want to see a chaplain in most hospitals? Most people are like, I didn't come to a hospital to see a chaplain. I came here to see doctors. But it, when people are dying, they often will say, yeah, I want to see the chaplain. Bring him in. And you come into a room full of complete strangers with a loved one, usually an elderly person, but not always lying there in the bed. The family is often like one or two up by the bed and the rest are sitting off on a couch or all kinds of different family dynamics. Some families have, you know, a whole bunch of people stuffed into a little room and other families, it's one or two people. But every time I'd gather them up in a circle around the loved one and we'd pray Psalm 23 together. And when you're holding hands with people, you can't, um, you know, hold a book too. So Psalm 23 was always my go-to. It's a prayer, a prayer for the Lord to be a shepherd. And that is something we need, especially in this time of distance and uncertainty, economic uh, setbacks, to put it mildly, health crises that seem to be larger than anything our world can handle, Uh, leadership crises where leaders that we didn't like before now seem to be doing really stupid things with hubris and glee. This is a tough time for those of us who are led by our earthly shepherds. And so we look to the Lord as our shepherd. I shall not want. The King James uh, translation of the Psalms will always be my favorite. And the the writers of the Book of Common Prayer in, in our Episcopal tradition knew this, so they put the King James Version of Psalm 23 into the funeral service. They say you can read it in the, the Coverdale Psalms that are in the prayer book already, or in the King James Version, and they print it out, because they know. They know that the King James Version is Psalm 23. That's what we think of. You don't want to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't Uh, need anything else. No, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We don't talk that way, but we feel that way. I don't know about you, but I have a very Elizabethan English brain. Um, Even though I don't ever talk that way, my mind sometimes is configured in that way. And so we, I encourage you to consider memorizing Psalm 23. And it's pretty easy to memorize something like this. You just like get it out every day and read it or print it out, put it on your wall, mirror, say it while you're brushing your teeth. Um, Those are all ways to get that psalm inside you because you're going to need it. Um, You're going to need to carry it with you in the coming days and weeks. Um, We have become a culture that we can Google anything at any time. Um, But when you're holding hands with people, who are experiencing grief and dying, you can't Google anything. So much of our English um, heritage in language comes from the King James Version of the Psalms and other texts as well. Uh, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I think green pastures um, has just a beautiful imagery to it of what literally is a pastoral scene or a scene of a shepherd where sheep are grazing 
Uh, and the perspective is that, that if the Lord is your shepherd, then you're a sheep. And that's not the most flattering animal to be. I notice there's a lot of um, pushback against the term spirit animal these days. I was in a running event a couple weeks ago, um, a virtual running event that I entered. Uh, trail race had been canceled, and so I we all did it virtually. And someone asked me, because they wanted to do stats or updates on some of the runners, and they asked a bunch of silly questions. And one of them was, what's your spirit animal? And I wrote back, feeling my righteous indignation, I said, Many, many Native Americans consider that term to be offensive. And so I prefer inner beast or what's that Harry Potter uh, term for spirit animal? Uh, Patronus or something like that, or patron saint um, of the animal persuasion. These are all uh, ways that humans have understood their connection to the animal world of which we are part and also not part. And so uh, they were very quick to say, okay, <laughs> you don't have to have a spirit animal. Um, and yet, uh, for Christians, our spirit animal, our Patronus, our inner beast is a sheep. Uh, and sheep are, as many know, a domesticated animal that is akin to like goats too, but is also um, distinct in that it's much more uh, easily frightened, scared, scattered, lost, and yet produces amazing things like milk and wool. Uh, and the, it's the sheep, sheep of England that made it a powerhouse economically in the medieval period and later as its wool industry was really uh, the thing that drove it. I don't know why I threw that in there randomly, but it just kind of hit me. But in America too, uh, sheep have always been um, something that people have valued and treasured and kept so, and, and I think that's true around the world. I'm I'm sure there's places where there are no sheep, but uh, most people can relate to that image, if not in their own community, but in nearby ones. And like sheep need still waters. Like God takes care of our our food first. And it's true in life. Like you can do a lot of things for people, but if they don't have food, like nothing else is going to happen. And it's really all we basically need to, to kind of survive is, is food and water. And so first, get them food and water. That's what the shepherd does for the sheep. And then restoring my soul. He restoreth my soul. Leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Sheep move from place to place. If you've ever seen a shepherd in action, they move them around. If you've seen a sheepdog uh, moving sheep around, they move them around because you have to let the grass grow and then come back to it and eat it and then go back to more verdant grass. And so the rotations of our life, even the places we go and graze and move around in, I don't know about you, but I've moved like a million places in my life. I don't remember most of them. Every once, yesterday I had to apply for a driver's license because I lost my card and I have to get another one made. And they ask, um, they do some kind of weird background check in the verification process online. And it was like, did you ever live at 53 Kenwood Circle? And like, it took me forever to like, eh, yes, 20 years ago. <laughs> I don't know if you have that same, if you've been in the military, you probably have it and other occupations that move around a lot where you're like, not even sure if that was the address. What was the street 
how what was the apartment number for your Ogden Avenue address? I'm like, one four four five, you know, and it's like four choices. So even our our peripatetic lifestyle, our moving around, is something the shepherd is intimately involved in. Um, you have come to the place you are right now because the good shepherd has brought you there, uh, even in this time of of distress. And we pray for all those who have who are in difficult living situations, that the shepherd will move them out as quickly as possible. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And this is why we memorize this one, because it's got this line in it about the valley of the shadow of death. When you hold hands with the family that's grieving and pre-grieving the loss of a loved one, and you pray this and you get to this line, it's hard not to to feel it in a really profound and emotional way. Because we do walk through the valley of the shadow of death all the time, whether we know it or not. And whether we are or we aren't, other people are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I can't think of a better way to, to put it. This experience called death is a mystery. It is the final frontier. It's something that we're really not sure what happens. You can read about it and talk about it and try to understand what happens in death. And I'm a big fan of reading books about near-death experiences and people that have come back. The, the great John Price, an, a priest in our diocese, a National Guard state chaplain, retired now, has written a brilliant book about near-death experiences. He interviewed hundreds of people for this book that have had them. I've met with people that had them. Eben Alexander's famous book as well uh, about the neuroscientist surgeon who um, has a near-death experience. And yet uh, we really don't know. This curtain of death that Shakespeare talked about is one that is hard to pierce, the veil to pierce that veil. It is a valley and it is a shadowy valley. And we're never quite sure what it's going to be like. But we don't fear evil because he's with us. So even in times where we go through that uncertainty, where that abyss of death opens up, and I don't know about you, but during times of this pandemic, during the time of this pandemic, people that have PTSD like me and, and, other, uh, and other diseases of the mind can feel that abyss of death opening up even wider. And the who cares, what does it matter, things are going to get worse, that valley of the shadow of death opens up too inside our souls. And that is the time when you have to realize and remember that the shepherd is with you. You are not alone in that valley of the shadow of death. The rod and staff are there to comfort. Um, the rod and the staff, the shepherd's crook, the crozier of the bishop, if you will, the bishop of our souls is there. And it's going to give a whack to our enemies because it says, thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Like while the wolves are circling, there the sheep are munching the grass happily. Uh, sheep don't eat off a table. So the poet here is slipping into a little, uh, little. I don't know what the reverse of anthropomorphism is, but where you the, the, the animals are eating at a table. 
because that's what the shepherd does for us. He takes us up a notch. Uh, We are sheep, of course, and yet we're sheep that get to sit at the table. Um, Right there in the presence of the enemies. I don't know about you, if if you have enemies that you know of or not. Um, I never thought I had enemies. I mean, I had enemies in a war. That's kind of like a real enemy. People that are actually trying to kill you, but I don't think I really ever saw that many of them in real life, like face to face. Most wars, you don't see the enemy till it's too late. And yet, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about what is an enemy. One of the things he said about it was somebody that doesn't want your love. The more you love them, the more they hate you. The more you try to get close to them, the more they push away and push back. An enemy is someone who doesn't want your love. And so, it's really hard to be in this uncomfortable situation with our enemies, where someone that doesn't like you, doesn't want you around, <clears throat> and you have to be in their presence and eat in their presence. This is a really disturbing thing. I think about this in heaven, like when I'm up there with my enemies in heaven, and we're all sitting at that banquet table with Jesus. Like, am I going to enjoy the meal if I'm there with them? I think about this a lot. And yet, this is what Jesus does. Our good shepherd can even bring enemies together, and they can eat together. And thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. This is a really wild party. There's wine being spilled. There's people being anointed for healing. They're eating. The enemies are there. And you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord because goodness and mercy is going to follow you. Again, back to the trail imagery of the sheep. The sheep are moving down the path, and goodness and mercy are following them all the days of their life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord, which I think here is referring to the temple, but Christians have kind of moved this into the the person of Jesus, that we dwell in Jesus, who is our temple, our great high priest, our temple. Jesus is both the, the paschal lamb, and the shepherd. Jesus is both the temple and the high priest in the temple. All this imagery kind of morphs its way back and forth in our consciousness. And to live in that house forever is the ultimate end of life, to be in that worshiping community with God. That is what our destiny is. And that is why we memorize this psalm, not just for the hard times, but even for the good times. Thanks for joining me, and I invite you to share this and subscribe to this podcast and uh, continue to get the good news out that we are not alone.